Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. We find ourselves in the book of Daniel, and I want to give you some important information as we, before we dive into today's passage, some background, and all of this is important for us to understand and really understand the main idea of today. See, the book of Daniel, it covers 70 years that the Jews were held captive in Babylon, 605 to 536 B.C. The Jews were exiled to Babylon as a form of judgment from God. He allowed this to happen to His own people. Yes, God allowed this atrocious event to happen to His own people. Why, you might ask? Why did this happen? Well, after various warnings through the prophets of telling them to repent from their sins, they did not. What sins? Well, they were very idolatrous, loved to worship other gods, loved to sacrifice their children to Molech, loved to worship Baal and his wicked practices of worship. They trusted in foreign powers instead of putting their trust in Yahweh, the God that delivered them from Israel and all their enemies, they're like, no, we can go to the Egyptians. They'll help us. As we don't want to pay any more tribute to Babylon. And a lot of sin and injustice amongst themselves. So during this captivity, Daniel, he was the mouthpiece of God to the Jews and Gentiles, declaring God's current plan for them at that moment and future plans for the world. He was kidnapped from Judah around 15 years of age from his royal family. He was commissioned to the king's court to be brainwashed in the Babylonian way so that he would be able to assist in dealing with the importing Jews that were coming to Babylon. He served two world powers, the Babylonians and the Med-Persian empires, and he served them as a confidant and a prophet. Other prophets that warned the people before and during the exile and were contemporaries of Daniel, just for your sake, were Ezekiel, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, and Zephaniah. While in captivity, Daniel records an encounter he had with one of the Babylonian kings and describes the embarrassing consequences pride can produce. The main character of today's lesson is King Nebuchadnezzar, and his kingdom is the Babylon Empire. Let's read today's passage. Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 through 37. Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. Twelve months later, he, King Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have, have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind. 
and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me, for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness for that of kings. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are true. And his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Now, I'm going to give you some context of how we got here. Chapter 1 of Daniel talks about, Daniel talks about himself and his friends not wanting to eat the food that was offered to him by the guards. This is food that was given to the king, and it was food that they were to eat, but it was food that was unclean according to Jewish custom. So Daniel and his friends have courage, and they say, sorry, but we can't. Give us just vegetables and water. The captain of the guard is like, you guys look skinny and pale. I'm going to die. Please don't do this. But Daniel's like, look, give us two weeks, and if, if we're not looking better, then we'll start. And two weeks later, they're looking the best out of all the youth that are there. Praise be to God for Daniel and his courage to stand for the truth of his God. In Daniel chapter 2, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream and wanted all the wise men from Babylon to interpret the dream that he had. But guess what? He didn't tell them the dream. He was like, I'm not going to tell you the dream, but I want you to interpret it for me. And the wise men were worried and said, look, this is something that only God can do. And we don't need, the, the gods don't even live among us. So what you're asking is impossible. So the king got furious and he was going to kill everyone. And Daniel was one of these wise men. And, and Daniel said, hold on, let, let me talk to the king. Give me, give me an audience to the king and explain to the king. Give me some time. Daniel prays and God miraculously reveals this dream to Daniel. And he interprets his dream to the king. And look at what the king said in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, surely your God is a God of gods. And the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. So Daniel miraculously interpreted the king's dream without even knowing it. The Lord allowed this to happen. That concludes chapter 2. We move on to chapter 3. In come Daniel's friends. Because remember, Daniel had friends also that were courageous, that only drank water and vegetables and ate vegetables. And this was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And then they had to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. He built this huge statue made of gold. And he proclaimed to his people that every time they heard a specific music, they had to bow down and worship. And obviously, Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. They came to the king's ear, the king got mad, and then basically they disobeyed. Right? They disobeyed the king's command because they were doing what the God had told them. But guess what? They survived. The Lord was with them. And look what the king said after he saw that they survived. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 28 to 29. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants to put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. And he says, Therefore I make a decree that my people, nation, or tongue, that any people, nation, or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubberish heap, inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. So he saw the miracle through Daniel of interpreting his dream. He saw the miracle of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego surviving the fiery furnace and not dying. In fact, the, the guards that were taking them, they died because it was so hot. He saw these miracles. He saw the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of Daniel, and he said these things. But then we find ourselves now in chapter 4, where he has another vision, another dream. And let's read that. Turn your Bible to chapter 4, verse 10. We're going to read this vision because it's highly correlated with what we're going to learn about today. And this is the vision that he had. This is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking, verse 10. Now these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. So the tree grew large, and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole world. This is his kingdom, the kingdom of Babylonia, Babylon. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit, let the beast flee from under it and the bird from its branches. Yet leave a stump with its fruits in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the Holy One, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on him, on whom he wishes, and sets it over the lowliest of men. So he has this vision. Nice big tree, great empire, all of a sudden this empire is collapsing. For seven years, this person is going to go eat grass like the cattle, is going to be drenched in dew, morning dew, and all this, Daniel has to interpret. And Daniel, being courageous, he does interpret it. And he tells the king, 
hey, this vision is about you. You need to get your act together. You need to repent and change your ways because if not, this is what's going to happen to you. Hence, we find ourselves now in the realization of the dream in the verses that we just read. Specifically, we're going to look at three themes regarding Nebuchadnezzar's pride and repentance. Three themes regarding Nebuchadnezzar's pride and repentance. Scene one is going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Scene two is going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's fall. And scene three is going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar's repentance. Today's theme, as we study this word that I want you to have in your mind is, Yahweh is the only one who can transform prideful hearts into humble ones. Yahweh is the only one who can transform prideful, prideful hearts into humble ones. Let's begin with the first scene, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Verse 29. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. We see that Daniel just told him, you've got to repent. This vision is about you. And we see it's twelve months later. No change. No repentance. Nebuchadnezzar is just doing his thing as normal. We don't know if he was offended or mad at Daniel for the interpretation. We do know that he has reacted negatively when people have confronted him. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the, the king that they were not to bow down, this is what they told him in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And look at Nebuchadnezzar's reaction. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more, and it was usually heated. So it's interesting that there is no reaction recorded from Daniel after Daniel told him that the vision was about him. We can speculate that Nebuchadnezzar's pride was so great that he thought to himself, this is just another dream. Who is as great as I am? This is not going to happen to me. Even though I praise the God of Daniel, even though I praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I still don't believe he is the true God. I think I know better, even though he saw two miracles before his eyes. So, 12 months pass by. He seems oblivious to the warning. And he does not take heed to what Daniel told him. What did, what did Daniel tell him? Well, he told him in verse 27 of chapter 4. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. He's telling them, this is what you got to do, king. Please do so. And the king, 12 months later, and there's no change. So instead of figuring out how to please God and being righteous and showing 
mercy to the poor, he is pleasing himself, and is contemplating the greatness of his kingdom, and perhaps looking from the roof of his palace of how can I make this bigger for my name because I'm so great. Instead of preoccupying himself with the work of a king and making sure that justice was prevailing in his kingdom and doing the work that he needed to, he was taking a break and indulging in his pride and the greatness of his kingdom. Does this sound familiar to a, a king that we know about that was walking on the roof one day and sinned gri- uh, egregiously to God? That was David, remember? 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 and 2. Then it happened in the spring. At the time when kings go out to battle, meaning what kings were supposed to do, David sent Joab. He's like, I'm not going to do it anymore. And sent his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. And then verse 2, Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And we know the story. Application, if you're ever a king, stay away from you. I'm just kidding. Application, watch yourself when you're idle. Because that's when temptation comes. And it can creep in and you didn't even know it. When you're not doing the things that you're supposed to do. In your downtime, in your alone time. Also, never think you're invisible to anything. These kings thought that they had it all. And instead of working hard, as if it was for the Lord, and being grateful with the position that they had, they became idle. And when temptation came, they fell. Never think this cannot happen to you either. As sin is deceitful and untrustworthy. You can never, ever trust it. Look at what Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything, than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So what was the king doing as he was walking on the top of the royal palace? Verse 30. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? The king was tempted with pride. He saw that all that accomplished, and he, was, he saw all that he accomplished, and he was proud of it. Hence, he was on the roof, and he could see from all directions the greatness of his kingdom. He fell into thinking that he was responsible for the greatness and that he did such a great deed to the world that his name should be remembered forever. Now, don't misunderstand me here, right? There's nothing wrong about working hard and accomplishing goals and tasks and doing the best and being the best at what you want to do. In fact, the Lord commanded in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yes, we work hard and do so. But the key is to know that the actual drive, talents you have, that allow you to accomplish that was given to you by God himself. And he will always deserve the glory. If you're smart, athletic, strong, driven, talented, artistic, etc., because God gave you those gifts. And he gave them to you for his glory. Not yours. And when you are praised, a simple thank you might be okay, but in your heart, you should turn to God, thank you for this gift because it's not even mine, it's yours. We'll, we'll talk a, bit, a little bit more of this in the application. What was he so, what was he looking at? Was so, what was he so proud of? Well, let's talk about it. Babylon was one of the greatest civilizations on the face of the earth. 
Nebuchadnezzar, many architectural achievements were made, such as he had 40-foot walls that surrounded 200 square miles of a city, the city of Chicago, and they were so thick, these walls were so thick, they used to do chariot races on the top of these walls. That's something that, you know, could cause him to be like, hey, I did that, <laughs> look at that, that me, right? He also built a religious shrine that buildings that were up to 280 feet tall, about 26 story buildings high. A building that was 26 stories high at that time. That's pretty impressive. But the most impressive were the hanging gardens. Yes, this is a tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar. It was a colossal maze of terraced trees, shrubs, flowers, and man-made waterfalls. Considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Modern scientists have deduced that for the gardens to survive, they would have to be irrigated using a system consisting of a pump, water wheel, and cisterns to carry water from the Euphrates River, many feet in the air. That's why it was such a, a great accomplishment. And it was all under King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was proud of it. Look at what I did. Look at my greatness. So in his pride, he thought, I did all this and it's for my glory. But remember what the Lord says in his word about our plan, about our actions. Verse, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Sometimes we can think right now to ourselves, man, that guy's pretty prideful. That's, he sounds super prideful. That's not me. Never will it be me. Well, let's think about it. How many of you have ever thought this or said this out loud? Man, look at that play I just did. Ooh, look how I served that ball. Look how I caught that ball. Look how I kicked that ball. Look at that tackle. Did you see the tackle? Woo! Or you look at yourself in the mirror. Man, look at this. Look at this creation that the Lord has made. Oh, yeah. I'm so good looking. Wow. Or look how smart I am. Oh, I'm in gifted classes. I'm in the gates. What does he do? Look at all these talents. Look at all this. Look at all I draw. Show me what you can draw. Because look at this. This is amazing. Or look, look how talented I am. Look at this instrument that I'm playing. That there's no one can play like this. Wow, I made A team. What, what team did you make? Look at the new shoes that I got. Look at the new clothes. These are things that we've either thought, said, and they're prideful. And we can see Nebuchadnezzar's display on his pride in our lives as well if we're not careful to recognize it. We've got to put this off, renew our minds, and put on righteousness. And we're going to get to that in the application part. But don't look at this story as so far away from you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will reveal to us in our hearts what pride we have to repent from. Because we all struggle with it. But what does the Bible say about pride? Well, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. This brings us to the second key of today's lesson, which, were, which is Nebuchadnezzar's fall in verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
To you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. As King Nebuchadnezzar was saying these things of how great he was, he was interrupted. A voice interrupts him. It was not a dream this time. It was not a prophet this time. It was the very own words of God. Can you imagine the terror of him hearing these words? And look at the first word that God uses to address him. He didn't just say, hey, Nebuchadnezzar. He called him King Nebuchadnezzar. Actually means, you really think you're something, don't you, King Nebuchadnezzar? Right? John Calvin states that in the form of ridicule, calls him not just Nebuchadnezzar, but King Nebuchadnezzar, thinking his status actually meant something to Nebuchadnezzar. The true sovereign ruler of the world spoke, and from heaven God himself declared that his rule, his kingdom, his dominion was taken away from him. And guess what? God has that authority. Because in the Bible we see who puts and takes away kings. God. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, who resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Proverbs 8, 15 through 16. By me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles all who judge rightly. God tells him, you, you, don't even, you, you don't even fathom of what you're thinking. Your sovereignty, your authority, I'm taking it away. This is my declaration, I'm taking it away. What else does God tell him? And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High, God talking about himself, is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. He reminds him, you know that vision that you ignored 12 months ago? Yeah, that vision is going to happen right now. He's going to be driven away from mankind, meaning he's going to be taken away from humans. His dwelling place will not be what he currently has. He will literally eat grass like cattle. And seven years would pass until he would finally recognize his pride and bow the knee to the true God. He is letting him know that the glory and power that Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed were given by God. And because they were given by God, God could take them away just like that. But what happened after God spoke this to Nebuchadnezzar? Verse 33. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven, until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. Guys, God is faithful, and he keeps all his promises. Just know that and trust in that, that he is faithful. He cannot not keep his promises. He is faithful. Whatever he says will happen. Whatever he promised, he will accomplish it. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. 
has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? All that God said would happen, and it happened immediately. There was no second chance for King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, okay, I, I really believe you now because I hear you from heaven. I, I'm going to repent now. I promise. No, 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 I was too late. Immediately this happened. He was driven from humans. He went from ruling one of the largest cities at that time in history and having hundreds of servants to serve him. He went from that to complete isolation. He ate grass like cattle. This is to be taken literally. He would be seen in the fields, wandering like cattle and eating grass. That's how he would sustain himself for the next seven years. His body was drenched in dew. What does that mean? It means that his new dwelling place was outside in the fields with no shelter. He would live in the fields for seven years. He would be drenched in it. He would wake up in it. He would go to sleep in it. That's what would characterize his life for the next seven years. Hair grew like eagle's feathers. This is not literal. But what would someone look like if they lived in the wild for seven years? This is what is referring to, that his hair would grow and he would look like a wild beast. Not that he became a beast, he would look like it. And the nails became like claws. Not that they became claws, like claws. Well, imagine not cutting your nails for seven years. Some of you look, haven't done that, and you show us. I'm just kidding. This is what he would look like. See, the Lord humiliated the king to the lowest point that he could. He took him from the highest roof to look at all the kingdoms to the what? To the humble fields where the livestock were. After seven years had passed, and all that the Lord said he would do occurred, God would allow the king to learn his lesson and repent. Which leads us to the third and final thing, Nebuchadnezzar's repentance. Verse 34, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He begins by saying, but at the end of that period, it is important to know that God's trials for our lives are in his perfect timing as well. So the trial that you're going through is in his will for your life, and the length that it determines to be is also in his will for your life. Sometimes we think we're ready to move on from a trial because it's been so long. But God is the one who determines how long it really needs to be. God is loving and perfect and knows exactly how long difficult times in our lives need to be. It's hard to understand it, but we're called to trust in God. And not question any of His ways, lest we become a couch in ourselves. As hard as it might sound, as hard as it might be, He is in control and He knows. And he knew for Nebuchadnezzar, it needed to be seven years. Remember, there were many times that he could have. He saw 
the dream interpretation. He could have repented right there and there. He saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survive a fiery prayer. He could have repented right there. He saw Daniel interpret the dream, and he could have repented right there, but he didn't. He was too prideful. And in the Lord's providence, the Lord determined seven years. Why? Because he's God. Why not 6.5? Why not 6.9? Why not 6.11? Well, because he's God. Why were the Jews 70 years under exile? Why not 69? Why not 55? Why not 50? Because 70 was the years that the Lord knew that they needed. Why 40? Why not 39 and they wouldn't? Because 40 was the year that he knew that these stiff-necked people needed. Why all the time that you're going through your trials? Because the Lord knows what you need. Now, self-induced. Some trials are self-induced, and those are the ones that you learn. Some trials are just God-given, and they're still from God, and we still are called to trust in Him. So, we see that after encountering the discipline of God for seven years, even the greatest king bows to the true king. And he writes this doxology about God. You know what a doxology is? It's a public worship about God that contains many great truths about who God is. So you see, in Daniel, it was just one verse that I read to you in chapter 2 when he interpreted the dream. And then in chapter 3, it was another verse of King Nebuchadnezzar proclaiming, not a good name, he's the God of Israel and the Jews. And, but these are four verses that say so much and have so much truth that you see finally a true repentance from King Nebuchadnezzar as he talks about the God of the Jews. It says, I raise my eyes toward heaven, refers to a cry of help, a cry of rendering, a cry of repentance. When he did this, by God's grace, guess what happened? His reason was restored. What does it mean that his reason was restored? Guys, even your reason is a gift from God. The fact that you can reason and have logic and have knowledge is not even yours. God has given that to you. And God can get and God can take it away. <clears throat> Just like he took it away from Nebuchadnezzar. How else do you think a king, a smart king as he was, would eat grass and not build a shelter? And live in the, on the ground with dew for seven years. Because God took away his reason. That's why. To humiliate him to say, even your reason, Nebuchadnezzar, belongs to me, not to you. John Calvin states, even your reason is a gift from God. The fact that you are more than an animal is from a gift from God. Animals go reason and just eat and survive. Therefore, when it came back to the king, his reason, he recognized how foolish he was, but how great God was. King Nebuchadnezzar went from thinking that he was God, remember the golden statue that he made, that wanted everyone to worship, to what? He's blessing and praising the Most High. Again, Most High is a name that many of the prophets and psalmists refer to Yahweh with. He honored, he says, we honor him who lives forever, recognize that his dominion was an everlasting dominion, one that was forever, and his kingdom endured from generation to generation. He realized that his kingdom was limited to time. He's like, I'm just going to rule a couple of years, but God, your kingdom is forever. 
This is the type of praise that comes from a slave of God, from someone who has truly repented of their sin. What else did Nebuchadnezzar say? All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he says, according to his will, in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? What does this mean? See, King Nebuchadnezzar really understood how little he was compared to the God of the universe. And before, he thought that he was superior to the earth's inhabitants because he was king. But now he includes himself in those inhabitants and saying, we're nothing to God. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, including myself. He acknowledges that Yahweh's will is going to be done in heaven as it is on earth. His will is going to be done. And guess what? No one can question God because no one can ward off or hold back His hand. His will is immutable and unchanging and will happen according to His plans. And we are to trust that they are the best plans because He is perfect, loving, faithful, and just. Now we can have to continue. Verse 36. At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom, and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. He realized that reason, again, like mentioned earlier, was given by God as well. And in God's perfect timing, when Nebuchadnezzar finally repented and saw his true condition before the greatest God, God for his own glory and his own purpose restored Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Not because Nebuchadnezzar deserved it, or not because Nebuchadnezzar repented. It was because God wanted him to have it back. And God not only restored his kingdom, but again, it makes it greater than before. And again, not because Nebuchadnezzar was so great, we know that's not true, but because God is God, and He takes the glory, and He wanted to give it back. And, by the way, they're all blessings when we practice humility. Proverbs 22.4, the reward of humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. He concludes in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of Heaven, for all His works are true, and His ways just, and He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Again, he, he worships the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's saying, God, only You are God, only You are King, only You, you live forever. Why is He to be worshipped? Because all of His works, what is all of His works entitled? Doings, trials, tribulations, moments of happiness, all of His works are true and just. God can't be unjust or unfaithful. It's not in His nature. It's impossible for Him to do those things. So therefore, we trust in who He is and His character. He ends with one of the most important lessons any man can share after experiencing a hard seven years. Have you ever heard of humble pie? No? Have you heard of, you ate a piece of that humble pie? You ate a piece of that grass pie, right? This is the greatest news that we can hear. 
He can humble those who walk in pride. He can humble those who walk in pride. Only God can transform a proud heart to a humble one. This is how much the Lord can love His children. By taking them from being prideful to being humble. What a blessing that is. That God will work in us in this way. To mold us to be conformed to the image of His Son. There are two types of pride we can deduct from Scripture regarding Nebuchadnezzar. The first, the pride of an unbelief. If you will hear things like Nebuchadnezzar, that you are the king of your life, and that your ways are better than God's ways, and that you think you know more than God for salvation because you think you're a good person and your way is the only way to heaven, I implore with you that you repent and believe from that belief. You see, we are not good at our very core. We are sinful before the Lord. We, are all, we have all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. One day we will all die and we will be judged by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This King, this God right here, who is in control of everything, is going to judge us. And guess what? The news is not looking good. We're all guilty because we've all sinned. And the Bible says that the price of sin is death. But the Bible also says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you and me could never and will never live. He died on the cross, being God and man at the same time. He rose from the dead on the third day. And the Bible is clear and says that if you believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and He rose from the dead on the third day, you will be saved. I urge and implore with you tonight that you repent from your sins and your pride, thinking that your good works can save you because they can't, and that you put your faith only in Christ for your salvation because He is the only one that can save you. That is the first pride. The second pride are for those that are believers. Pride is something that we will always struggle with due to sin. And it is always something that we've got to be praying to God that He can reveal any hidden sin of pride in our hearts so that we can repent, put off, renew our minds, and put on righteousness. Guys, this is a lesson that you can learn the easy way or you can learn the hard way. You can learn it from a sermon like this and pray that the Lord gives you the will to work for His own good pleasure and say, Lord, I really don't want to eat grass. I want to learn humility. Please, teach me. Or you can say, I can learn a lesson. Yeah, it's pretty good. How do I do a good job? Ah, it's, not, it's not me. I'm not prideful. And the Lord will treat you in His way. And He does. And He will. And unfortunately, sometimes when those tribulation trials come to teach you a certain lesson, those are the ones that we learn most from. Those are the ones that we are matured to. So how can we apply these awesome truths we just learned today? Number one, be watchful of sin and do not idle. If you know that being idle is when you sin the most, stop it. Have a game plan. 
Be ready when temptation comes. Don't put yourself in situations that can easily lead you into sin. If you know certain conversations, certain things that you say can lead you to pride, prideful thinking, put off, renew your mind with the Word, and put on righteousness. Number two, give God the glory always for the good that is in you. Be humble with what the Lord has given you. If someone ever compliments you for something good you have done, you can politely say, thank you. But in your mind, you should immediately go to praising God who gave them those gifts to you. Or you can respond by, thanks, just trying to be responsible for what the Lord has given me. You don't have to say anything. But your heart, God sees the heart, and your heart be the one better, better be the one responding to God in a way, thank you God for that gift because it's not even mine. And I'm just trying to be a good steward of what you've given me. Now, don't do this. Oh, you really think so? Oh, I'm not that great. No, no, for real, it was good. It was good. Nah, nah. Because you like to hear that. That's also pride. Because you want people to tell you more and more how great you were. Don't do that either. The gifts you have were given by God. He takes the glory. The reason you have was given by God. He takes the glory. The breath you have is given by God. He takes the glory. Number three, trust the Lord that He is in control over your trial, including the time it lasts. When you're going through trials, put your sole focus on who God is and not what you can do. Because when we get into the trial time period, we always want to focus on what God can do. Get me out of the situation. I don't want to be in the situation. Get me out quick, Lord. Get me out quick. I don't want to. And instead of focusing on who God is, loving, kind, just, faithful, when you focus on who God is, that is when you receive the peace that He promises to you. Don't focus on what He can do. Focus on who He is. Put off pride. How can pride creep into our lives? I'm going to give you a list. I found this in the Gospel Coalition. I thought it was interesting. I'll share it with you. Fear. What do you mean? How is fear prideful? Well, not trusting in God and trusting that you have a better plan. Entitlement can be pride. What do you mean? Oh, you think you're a good person and you deserve something, but you didn't get it. Or you deserve everything because of how great you are. Ingratitude. We didn't think that we're good, so we deserve better. Of course we deserve that. Of course we're, we're good. Fear of man. People-pleasing. That's prideful. Why? Because you're pretending a high view of yourself that you shouldn't have in the first place. Prayerlessness. Ooh, this is hard. Ah, we can do life on our own without praying, without reading the Word. That's super prideful. How dare we ever think that? Hypocrisy. When you're proud, you elevate your status, forgetting the mercy God has shown you. That's a huge implication of pride in our lives or how it's shown. Rebellion. I know better, therefore I don't need to obey my bosses, I don't need to obey leaders, I don't need to obey my parents, I know more than they do. Finally, praise the sovereign God. Don't forget who God is, God. Yes, He loves you because of Him, not you. Yes, He is our Father, if you are a believer in Christ. But he is also the sustainer, the creator, all-powerful, all-knowing, a 
omniscient, omnipresent God. He deserves our reverence. He deserves the greatest honor, our greatest glo- the, the greatest praise, and the glory, all the glory goes to Him. And praise Him for who He is because He is God and we are not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, thanking you for your word. Father, please reveal in our hearts the pride that we can put off, that we can renew our minds with your word, and that we can put on righteousness. Let us be reminded of the counting of what pride can do and where pride can take someone who doesn't repent, who thinks they know more than you. Father, we're sorry for every time we've thought this that we think we know better than your plan for our lives. And when we think that the good things that we have that you've given us are ours and not yours, we're sorry, God. Help us help us live a life that honors you, Lord. And let us put on humility. Let us be selfless. Let us love others more than ourselves. Let us act the way you want us to act. Let us be salt and light to this world. And we ask you that you can help us because those that are in Christ, we are now no longer slaves to sin. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and we can walk in the Spirit. Please help us do so and give us the will to work for your own good pleasure, Father. It is in your name we pray.